With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Here we go. Earning their stripes, our Marlins Prospects show here on the Fist Stripes Podcast Network. I'm Eli Sussman here as usual. Instead of doing the official show focusing on the Major League Miami Marlins fish themselves, we are switching it up an impromptu prospects week here on our podcast channel due to a couple special guests that we have lined up to speak with about the minor league season here so far in 2021. Later in this episode, we'll be talking to Chris Garagiola. He's the broadcaster for the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, the Marlins AA affiliate. Later in the week, we have a one of the top hitters in the Marlins minor league system this season, joining us as well, talking about his success so far and his potential to reach the show in the not-so-distant future. So we hope you're subscribed to us wherever you get your podcasts, that you rate and review five stars wherever you get your Fish Stripes podcast. Of course, plenty of major league coverage happening throughout the week itself. We have our Fish Stripes Live series preview coming up on Tuesday night. We'll still have our small pods from Tuesday through Friday. We'll have some articles from me, one that, as usual, coming up on Tuesday, it's going to be another trade proposal Tuesday um, that I'll explain a trade the Marlins could and should make as soon as possible, as well as a deeper dive I'll be doing on Jorge Alfaro, not related to that trade proposal, but a separate uh, article about very interesting attributes about who he is as a hitter. On this episode, the first segment we're doing, it, I guess it toes the line between the majors and the minors, picking out two guys that are still prospect eligible, but up on the major league active roster at this time. That would be the right-handers Cody Poteet and Zach Thompson. That for the foreseeable future, they're filling the number four and the number five spots in the rotation, but only a couple starts each at the major league level, so they are still technically eligible as prospects um, for the moment. With these guys, they are they're critical. I mean, they're not guys that we had high expectations of whatsoever entering this year. They were at Major League Spring Training, didn't pitch a whole lot during spring, and certainly didn't start the season, the regular season, on the active roster. They're up there by necessity. While more highly touted prospects like Nick Neidert, uh, Braxton Garrett, they have not performed at all as well as these guys have, despite being a little bit older, despite having far less prospect pedigree. Uh, you guys know where I stand about the trajectory of this Marlins season that earlier this month, I feel they kind of turned the corner in terms of the, the wrong way, I should say, where the objective of reaching the playoffs is not within 
the realm of possibility at this point, and they should be balancing the long term more so. One of the key swing elements in reaching that conclusion was Cody Poteet's injury. He sprained his MCL. The assumption was that he'd be out long term, and the Marlins really shocked everybody outside the organization by bringing Poteet off the injured list just two weeks after suffering that knee injury, and he had a fairly Poteet-like outing in his return just uh, earlier last week. Seemed to work out pretty well. He strikes out half. He's got three in a row. Now, this is the good breaking ball, right? Talking about the consistency. Two strikes. It's in the strike zone, and then it's yes, out, bye. That hits the dirt. So he's in the rotation now. He's mostly stretched out to be a starter. And we're recording this the day after Zach Thompson pitched four no-hit innings against the Chicago Cubs. Ends up taking the hard luck loss in that one because of no run support and because of an unearned run that crossed the plate. Uh, Nonetheless, I mean, through three starts at the major league level, he's only allowed two earned runs. With these guys, I put out the question on Twitter, which do you trust more for the remainder of this season? For those that are holding out hope of this season, meaning something in terms of the playoff picture at the major league level, it absolutely will hinge on how this starting rotation does. You need more of the same from Sandy Alcantara, from Trevor Rogers, from Pablo Lopez. You need them to be excellent for the near future. And you also need Poteed and Thompson to be solid starters as well, at least through probably the end of July. I mean, that's realistically what you're talking about for a potential debut of Edward Cabrera, for a potential return for Sixto Sanchez. Those guys are not on the verge of being called up to the major league level. And in the meantime, you'll have to rely on the somewhat lower ceiling, uh, less hyped pitchers to hold down the fort in the meantime and hope that the other elements of the team are enough to have them playing significantly above the 500 mark, you know, leading up to that trade deadline. So which of these guys do you trust more? Which of these guys do you like more long-term? I'll be sharing the results of that poll in a few minutes once we go through this analysis, because the reason why I asked it in the first place is because I didn't feel there was an obvious answer. The sample sizes are small with both of these guys. They have um, what we've already seen as some limitations, but also some legitimately exciting stuff. And I don't think there's an obvious answer in terms of which one of these guys could potentially stick at the major league level the rest of this year, which of them could be a factor for this team for years to come. They do have many years of control remaining. They're both rookies, both, as I mentioned, prospect-eligible guys. They could have long futures ahead of them, despite being a little bit older than these other prospect, like typical prospects that we're most excited about. Um, we'll start with Thompson, because he's the one coming off that excellent outing on Sunday. You could see this breakdown that Nick Pollock of Pitcher List recently did, going through pitch by pitch of one of the endings from that outing and kind of getting an understanding of how exactly Thompson goes about his business. Uh, and what's something that has stuck out for me from his very debut in Boston, that which was his weakest performance as a major leaguer, even then you could see that he had something really interesting working with this cutter. And the only complaint that I had when I saw that first outing from Thompson in Boston was that he wasn't using the cutter enough, that if it, this pitch was really so great, I would go to it a lot, and he has made that adjustment since then, where at this point, combining his three starts, he has used that cutter nearly 40% of the time, 38.7% according to StatCast, nearly as many fastballs as cutters, and he also has his curveball that he used 20% of the time, for the most part a three-pitch mix, although he has thrown just a few sinkers and changeups along the way, mainly focusing on these 
three pitches. His stats through those three outings, that 150 earned run average, a 2.09 fielder independent pitching um, so far. Just a 12-inning sample size, but those are those are stats that are kind of the same as we'll get to with Poteet. That's kind of how Poteet debuted as well with a few quality outings. Um, the obvious disclaimer here with Thompson is that we haven't seen him pushed to a real full-length starters workload to this point. A case in point being on Sunday where he was removed after four innings uh, before he could even go more than two times through the lineup. That's a big question mark with him. And you have to point to where he was earlier this year with Triple H Jacksonville, the fact that he was in their bullpen. If he wasn't even much of a standout or a high priority for them to actually be working as a starter at AAA, then that should be somewhat of a red flag to you about this 27-year-old who's in his first year with the Marlins organization. Uh, the cutter, as I said, has been a really great pitch for him, and he's, it's good to see him use him it more often. He had five strikeouts on his cutter alone in Sunday's game, and for the season overall, he has nine of his strikeouts with that cutter so far, nine out of a total of 14 with that pitch. Uh, His fastball velocity, mid-90s, well, averaging right around 93 miles per hour this season. The curveball has a nice differential in terms of velocity, but he's had more trouble throwing that for strikes. He doesn't get for hitters to chase that pitch as often. Um, So for the moment, he's not adding a whole lot of value with that pitch, although he does have to throw it, you know, to change eye levels and to change speeds and all that. It's important to have at least those three pitches in his mix consistently. To compare that to Poteet. Poteet a tiny bit younger. This is his age 26 season and he'll turn 27 in late July. He is a Marlins organization lifer. He was drafted way back in 2015 in the, with their fourth round pick. He has been in the organization ever since. He was an interview of ours here on the podcast uh, less than two years ago when he was at AAA. He got lit up in AAA back in 2019, and despite building some momentum early on that year, uh, his performance there, what was at the time AAA New Orleans, really pumped the brakes on people getting excited about him, and it took away any possibility of him debuting back then. He was on the cusp of debuting if he had put together a couple more decent outings back in that 2019 season. Um, what's noticeable about him is his spin rates are off the charts. Um, that's kind of the subject of the day because as I'm recording this on Monday, it's the first day that Major League Baseball will be enforcing the use of foreign substances on the mound for both hitters and catchers and pitchers and and everybody involved, that they'll be looking for guys that are manipulating the ball somehow with substances that you're not supposed to be using anymore. And that's the one reason that before we get to the good stuff about Poteet, that's what gives me pause is that the most extraordinary aspect of his game is that he spins the ball at an elite level, even relative to the actual aces of the staff, believe it or not, because with Poteet, with, um, with Thompson, uh, that's not so much the case. He does get nice spin rate on his cutter. But with Poteet, I'm going to pull up the numbers here from Baseball Savant, the percentile rankings with his spin rate. Uh, both of his breaking balls, both his slider and his curveball, that are two distinct breaking balls he has, the curveball spin rate is in the 93rd percentile in baseball. And the fastball spin rate is at the 83rd percentile. Um, and that allows it to play up despite you know the other measurables that aren't that outstanding. Poteet has made six starts at the major league level, a 390 ERA, and a FIP that doesn't quite back that up completely, a 4.94 FIP. With both Thompson and Poteet, what we're seeing is that their ground ball rate is relatively low in the mid-30s percent. League average is closer to 44, 45 percent. 
Um, that's one concern that you wonder if over a significant amount of time they'll be prone to giving up home runs. Um, and to this point, Poteet has been somewhat uh, allowing five in his six starts, including four in his last, geez, five, four in his last like 11 innings pitched. Um, a bit of a red flag there with him. His fastball velocity a tiny bit higher than Thompson's. As I mentioned, two distinct breaking balls, both a curveball and a slider. What you like about him is that he seems to have more of a plan in terms of when to use his pitches. His slider is almost exclusively against fellow right-handed batters. His curveball is almost exclusively against lefty batters. He gets really nice elite um, curveball horizontal movements on that pitch. Uh, according to Baseball Savant, four and a half inches above average of horizontal movement um, compared to the average starting pit, the average pitcher in baseball so far this season. His standout outing, you'll remember, was against the Mets. That's the one where he went seven full scoreless innings in a Marlins win. The disclaimer there is that the Mets play that game uh, with a totally depleted AAA caliber roster. That was at the the height of their injury issues that are finally kind of mostly in the rearview window. Uh, that Mets team was not a major league lineup, and th- that's kind of why, even though in this poll, I'll, I'll give it away now, that most people said they trust Pote more than Thompson. The rest of the season, Pote getting about 63% of the vote and Thompson about 37 I imagine a lot of that hinged on the fact that we've seen Pote, at least in that one outing, go three times through a lineup and have great success doing it. The caveat is that that was that was the weakest lineup that he has faced so far this year. He's faced some weak lineups. He's faced the Pirates. Um, he faced the Diamondbacks, and that Mets lineup might be the worst of all. And it's great that he had he took care of business in that outing. And to this point, we have seen this really nice pitch mix. He has that deeper mix, that two breaking balls, and he has this changeup that might be even his best offering of all. That changeup that he's throwing about nineteen percent of the time. That. I think he's the one you trust more moving forward to miss bats consistently. Uh, and the fact that we've seen him work deep into the game is is a positive as well. Um, I just don't know how much we've learned so far from, from seeing him work to this point, despite those extra reps at the major league level. Uh, I mean, nonetheless, with Poteet, it is a win for the organization that he has you know, taking his game to a higher level, someone that never really had a whole lot of prospect hype, um, has seemingly just improved his stuff uh, through conditioning, through simple practice, through working with technology, that he, he does have these now four very interesting pitches that he, and he has a good plan for how to use them that I think, understandably, more people lean towards him as the one that they trust more moving forward. Um, I'm not accusing him of anything. I would never do that, but simply remarking that he has the highest spin rates across the board out of any Marlins active pitcher right now, heading into what is going to be the very first turn through the rotation where you're no longer allowed to use these substances without the possibility of being caught, being ejected, and being suspended. So we'll see if those spin rates hold up for him. Some guys have that ability to do it, regardless of what they're using on their fingers. That'll be something very close to watch. Different styles. Poteet is someone pretty average build for a major leaguer, whereas Zach Thompson is a towering six foot seven. And as I described, their pitch mixes are a little different. Their usages are different. And Thompson, to this point, hasn't been tested uh, quite as deep into a game as Poteet has. The bottom line is for this Marlins team to have a really fun remainder of this first half of the season, uh, to play 
they'll have to play their best baseball of the year for the coming weeks to avoid being just an obvious straightforward seller at the trade deadline. They'll need these guys to step up. They'll need both of them to step up. Uh, right behind them on the depth chart, you have Jordan Holloway, who I imagine we'll see at some point before the All-Star break. But uh, I think Poteet and Thompson have these rotation spots until they give us reason to uh, have them taken away until they actually struggle that this these are the guys on the back end of the rotation that you can expect to take the ball the next few turns of the rotation they're the ones that will need to do a solid job for this team to avoid like falling any deeper into the hole that they already have just fascinating guys that we were not thinking about much at all entering the season and all of a sudden they are their main characters pretty much for the remainder of this Marlins season moving forward. This show presented by Symbol. There are proud partners, the stock market for sports. Symbol allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Use your knowledge and the site's free daily market analysis to buy low and sell high on MLB, NFL, NBA, and beginning July 1st, college football teams are available on Symbol. More than 2,500 early adopters have already started to invest, and they're going to be flooding to this platform even more now that college football is on there for the Canes fans there, for our Seminoles fans, Gators fans, whatever team that you're into. They're now going to be available on Symbol in just a matter of days. Go to Symbol.app www.simbull.app to create a free account. Make your first deposit using the promo code FISHSTRIPES and you get a $10 bonus. That's all one word, FISHSTRIPES, to claim that bonus. The current Sim Marlins share price is now just over $30 at $30.05. Visit simple.app, promo code FISHSTRIPES, to get that $10 deposit bonus to help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know invest in sports. A special guest joining us now on the Fist Drives podcast, Chris Garagiola, broadcaster for the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, talking all things AA baseball so far during this 2021 season. Enjoy! This is Earning Their Stripes here on the Fish Stripes podcast channel, the show where we obsess over prospects in the Marlins organization. I'm Eli Sussman with Ethan Badowski virtually by my side. Let's welcome in our guest, Pensacola Blue Wahoos broadcaster, Chris Garagiola. Listen to him six days a week on ESPN Pensacola, 1330 AM, 99.1 FM, or you could just subscribe to MILB.TV. It's absolutely worth the price of a subscription, especially this year. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Garagiola. Uh, we, we'll have the name in the podcast description just so it's easy for people to, to find that. Um, and just when we host a party, you all you want is your guests to bring their own beer. When you host a podcast, all you want is your guests to bring their own microphone. And that's what Chris did. So we appreciate that. And we appreciate the time, Chris. Hey, what an intro, man. Thank you so much. You got, you got a profession in radio if you want it. Just let me know. 
Yeah, we've gotten a lot of reps on this pod the last two <laughs> plus years, especially. Uh, speaking to Chris on this off day, uh, every Monday off day in the minor league baseball this season, uh, we're speaking to him, as he said, right before we turn this on, your stock has never been higher in the Marlins community because the, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos are playing exceptionally well. I mean, they've won six of the last seven. They have the best record in the AA South. Uh, I think even better, I mean, most of these games are coming down to the wire, right? Um, and Every, three of the last six wins have been walk-off wins. It's a different hero almost every game. You must be living the dream. This must be as much fun as it can get to broadcast games. I mean, it's a lot of fun from a professional sense because you think about the broadcasters and when you get to the top, you do get measured quite a bit for your big calls. And if you just never have any big calls mm -hmm. to practice with, then you can never really understand what you sound like or what you need to work on and, and things like that. But certainly from a, you know, to tie it into a baseball or a Marlins perspective um, it, at the big league level. I don't think you'd enjoy necessarily playing a bunch of close games because that might suggest that your team isn't as good as maybe your record indicates, but in the minor leagues, when it's about, you know, repetitions and, you know, you could say what you want about, you know, there's no playoffs and minor league stats don't matter. But like when, when we throw the uniforms and we chalk up the lines, like there is something to play for. And so whether it is Nick Fortes or Peyton Burdick and, and they're in these, pressure situations i think they do feel that pressure and to see them deliver um especially getting to know them is it's an exciting feeling to watch and uh hey listen it's more fun when you win and lose so it's as simple as that at the end of the day yeah well i want to go right into just asking you about some of these guys and a guy that you mentioned off the bat is nick fortes and maybe you're listening to this podcast and you don't expect me him to be the first guy you ask about on this loaded roster down in Pensacola. Obviously, a lot of people thought coming into the year, this was the most talented roster in the Marlins system. Um, and it was actually ranked in the top 10 by MLB Pipeline. But Fortes has kind of taken uh, the world by the, the system by storm this year. And the Marlins need catching prospects badly. So just what has his emergence looked like? And what is he doing so well right now that has produced such great offense from him? There's a lot of things. Um, and I talked about this a bit yesterday, but you know, to your point, a need for catching for any team, it's, it's part of what I call the diamond. And when I talk to a lot of people who've worked in pro ball, you know, center field, shortstop, second base and catcher getting offensive production at the big league level is usually the first step into being really competitive. Um, whether it's in your division or, or for a championship push. So to scale it back to Fortes, the consistency offensively is what I like. There's a there's a bunch of guys on this team. They strike out quite a bit. You're going to see that in double A because the, the jump in pitching is so much higher. But he doesn't strike out a ton. I think he has less than a 20% strikeout rate. He's at the moment, I think, leading the team in average. He's also tied for first in stolen bases. So, you know, you just look at that and you see athleticism, understanding of the strike zone, good bat control. You know, he can spray the ball to all parts of the field. Maybe the power isn't quite like a Burdick or an Encarnacion, but you don't need it to because the other side that he brings is the defensive ability, the pitch framing. Um, he's, he's gotten much better at throwing out would-be base stealers uh, than I would say the first couple of weeks. I think he's he was down to like 21% and he's throwing out guys now close to 35%. So like all of these things add to worst case, a very competent, serviceable backup catcher 
at the big league level. You know, at the best case, it's like, well, he'll get a little bit bigger. You'll see a little more power. Maybe he can hit like 260, 270 in the major leagues, which again, if you're getting out of the catching position, you're getting that from anyone in your diamond. That's that's just going to elevate your team's mm-hmm. offensive production down the road. So for a guy who wasn't in the top 30, you know, I was just sort of wishy-washy, like, eh, like what, what are we going to see? But it started with the defense. And as of late, it, you're seeing it with the bat. And that walk-off, man, like that was a no-doubter. Like that's the loudest crack of the bat I've heard this year from anybody. Um, and I think I, I, you know, blew out my mic too early on the call just because I knew that ball was absolutely dookied on. So it was just like – all right, reel it back in, Chris. Like we got the rest of the <laughs> rest of the call, but he's a, he's a good one to watch for. Yeah, a shameless plug that our own Spencer Morris on Fist Stripes, I think last week had a really long article about his progress because he was really hyped as an amateur guy, probably all the way back to high school, and it's kind of been a long road to reach this level where now he's playing the best ball of his pro career. And I mean, as you said, he just his stock has gone up so much to where we thought it was entering the year for sure. So he's hitting pretty well, especially relative to expectations. But what I've noticed, you know, I mean, watching the games and also going through the stats is that it seems that playing at Blue Wahoo Stadium, it does a pretty solid job suppressing runs. It's not all about the talent on this pitching staff that we'll get into, but a lot of low scoring games um, that are, as we mentioned, decided by very close factors it's still relatively early in the year so i mean ethan and i we haven't gotten the chance to go there ourselves um we're curious about if you could describe what exactly the environment is like in that stadium in terms of uh, actually the dimensions of the ballpark is something that's hard to actually get uh the details on but also i've noticed in some broadcasts the wind and the factor that the wind has in keeping some balls in knocking them out um what is it about that ballpark that you think um, that people should know in terms of how it affects, you know, the usual raw numbers that are put on the scoreboard? Right. I think dimensionally it's 323 down the left field line. I think it might be 330 down the right field line. I think the walls are about nine or 10 feet tall. So very capable for someone to, to like rob a home run, for example, but they're consistent all the way across. Uh, and then like any ballpark, your deepest parts are going to be the power alleys and left center, right center. And it's 400 um, to just get to dead center field offensively, the wind, um, doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't often play a factor because this weekend it was like 100% a complete factor. We did have a tropical storm come in, but 90% of the time the wind will come in from right field and it'll look like it's coming in from dead center, but really right-handers who pull the ball will have a slight advantage. Um, it's like hitting a draw in golf. You'll get a little bit extra carry, Riley Mahan and JJ Blade, you should just make a mental note of this. You should add an extra home run right now to whatever their total is at the end of the season, because both of them hit home runs that just didn't get out. There was 28 miles per hour wind blowing in straight from right. Blade hit a no doubter and the guy caught it on the warning track and he hit it over the video board in terms of height. So like the launch angles, everything you dream of, you know, at the big leagues. And if it were Marlins park, it might've hit off the back wall in right field. Like I'm not kidding, but (laughs) it just happens a couple times a year. So that's like the dimensions and the, and the weather elements, but you got to remember, I mean, you guys know better than I do high a Jupiter before everything was switched around, probably drew at best. What? Like a thousand people half that. <laughs> yeah. Probably not even, you know? And so the yeah. blue Wahoos, even though we have the smallest stadium, like with our ownership group and with our president from the beginning, 
has spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what draws people to the ballpark and what keeps them engaged. So like worst case scenario, I mean, we had a tropical storm roll through here and we still had over 4,000 people show up because it was a Saturday and that's what people like to do on a pleasant day. Our capacity is 5,038. You might see even more than that, to be honest with you. And they're into it, man. Like they're cheering guys on guy has a bat at bat. They'll let them know. You know what I mean? Like it's it, but for the most part, it's probably an atmosphere that none of them have ever experienced unless they got to double a Jacksonville in 18 or 19. Um, because they also do a tremendous job over there. And it's obviously great to see them as a AAA affiliate because they can get like 11,000 people. And that place is just rocking on the weekend. So for them, I think that it juices them up a little bit. Um, I think you see a little more effort. I think you see some more quality at bats. And um, it's just, I can't imagine what it would be like to play five days a week or six days a week and only have like 200 people there. Like the, the game is already a grind enough. And to try and do that, like that's just another element that, I mean, woof, like that, that's just tough, you know? Yeah. Well, one thing I want to ask you about, um, it, it, you mentioned him right there, is J.J. Bleday. I think that's obviously a lot, what a lot of people will be coming into this podcast for is to hear about him uh, from somebody that sees him, you know, firsthand all the time. So we all know that he got off to a really tough start this year, um, but I, I'm looking at the numbers now, you know, 94 way to run straight a plus in the season. He's only hitting 209, but the plate discipline numbers are really good. 12.9% walk rate, 23.5% K percentage. Then you look at since May 28th, which is when he really started breaking out and he's hitting 280, 533 slug, 139 way to run straight a plus, 875 OPS, and a K percentage is below 20%, which is more what you expect from JJ Bleday, more what we were hoping to see. So what have you seen from him up close and personal that has changed since he started breaking out? Are balls just kind of falling or did he make an adjustment that you noticed? Yeah. So, I mean, let's look at tangibles and then the intangibles. I think the first part of that is um, there were quite frankly, some pretty poor at bats to start the year. And it looked just like a guy who was overwhelmed at double A. Now you take in the other factors, right? They hadn't played in a long time. What is it like at the alternate site? Stuff like that. And every single season, whenever we begin, pitchers always have an advantage over hitters, right? Like they, it's just much easier for them. So he didn't really understand what guys were trying to do. It looked like maybe at times he was guessing a little bit. The swing was kind of long, whatever. You said till May 28th, the average like two, 286. Um, you could even go up to June 1st, right? That average, I think, is up to 305. I love the weighted runs created plus, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And the walk rate has always been there as well. So, like, he knows what the zone is. He now understands the way guys are trying to pitch to him and he can then game plan before the game and try and understand, you know, what guys are trying to do. And more importantly, like the difference between Blade and Encarnacion right now from a pitch by pitch standpoint. So Inky knows that guys are trying to throw him with like a first pitch slider, first pitch breaking ball. And when you are sitting on a breaking ball, when you see the spin out of the hand, your brain tells you like pull the trigger. I'm sitting on the pitch. There it is. I got it. But you got to also understand that like it has to be released in a certain point because one will break in the strike zone. One won't. So he's constantly chasing ones that are a little bit out of the zone and falling behind. Whereas Blade, because he has such good plate discipline and such good awareness, like Mm. he really doesn't chase a lot now the way that he did beforehand. And he doesn't miss a lot of fastballs. Like he would chase a lot of fastballs that were just above the zone. And like, that's like, that's, 
a huge indication of like a guest hitter. Like I'm just looking for a fastball. There it is. Mm-hmm. And he's way more comfortable now because like he doesn't get burned by chasing so many pitches out of the zone. So like that's the tangible stuff that you see in the box, the intangible part. And the thing that excites me a little bit is two part one. It never really faced him that he was struggling. And like, that is a big killer of minor league prospects because like you can say it as many times as you want, like, Hey, you can never get too high or too low or whatever cliche a coach taught you when you were in middle school. It's like, when you when you're actually playing and there's pressure on you and you're supposed to be a prospect like it's really easy to be throwing helmets and snapping bats over your knees because you're just you know you're two strikeouts per game almost and with him it was like it's not that it didn't bother him because he didn't care it didn't bother him because he knew that like hey it's a long season it's a long game like this is my first time in double a i'll figure it out i'm a good hitter i was a top 5 pick I led the NCAA in home runs. Like I have all these different credentials that have established me as like a quality hitter. And like he has turned it around and why you guys should be excited is because like, I don't think he's reached half the potential that he has. Like he could still have some better at bats. He could still do a little bit better on breaking balls that are outside. I mean, guys still try to work him to the outside part of the plate because they have the overshift on and he still, he'll only go to left field or left center when it's like off the end of the bat or like a jam shot fister that just kind of finds some empty grass. But you start working on that a little bit and just putting some time in, like there's a lot more room to grow Mm -hmm. and like, I would be surprised if he doesn't finish the season with the average close for like 250, 260. And like we've never really had multiple guys with like 15 to 20 home run potential in a season. And like this is a shortened season, and we could have like two or three guys do that with him being one of them. With, yeah, just they, yeah, go ahead, Ethan. Sorry, just since you mentioned, I'll tell everybody what the numbers are in June. Um, as today is June 20th. So 302. Average 353 on base, 556 slug, 149 weighted runs created plus. So you saw, you see him finally coming on. It took a month that happens sometimes in the minor leagues and, 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 you know, but he's really showing what, what his potential can be. And I'm sure that'll get a lot of people calmed down, Chris, because a lot of people I see daily, you know, people that mostly follow the big league club freaking out a little bit about Blade, but I just kind of wanted to bring everybody down a little bit on that one. But Eli, you were saying. Yeah, well, on the other side of the ball, um, because Victor Victor Mesa got injured very early in the year, Blade has played a lot of center fields. I don't know if that's, he dabbled in it a little bit in spring training. I'm sure the Marlins want to keep that door open as long as possible. Uh, but he's now to this point played about as much center field as he has in the corners. What is your evaluation of that? Um, I've certain highlights I've certain I've seen, I've seen a couple other lowlights, uh, overall, do you think he can stick in center field based on what he's done? It looks like what 16 games or so in center field this season. I think he could. I really think he could. It's, it's exciting. I said it, it's funny you mentioned it because I said it yesterday before I described his outfield defense as being sneaky good. And now it's not just sneaky. It's the kind of one that just like knocks on your door and barges itself in. Like he made this catch in right field. I know it's not center, but it's a shallow fly. Center fielder was playing too far deep in verdict. No way that the second baseman could get there. And he just said like, F it. I'm going full speed. I, I, if I collide into somebody like, then that's just the choice I've made gets full extension and actually hits the ground, but he had to hit the ground first because he had so much ground to cover and made this like sensational catch 
to rob uh, Jake Palamaki of a base hit. Here's Jake Palamaki. He swings and floats one into shallow center. Coming in, Blade dives and makes the catch. Oh, incredible from Blade! And I just like could not fathom that he had the range and the reaction to get there. His arm is accurate, whether it's in left field. I think he has an outfield assist from every spot in the outfield. And his only error, I don't know what happened, but he was in foul territory and was just underneath the ball. And then it like hit off the heel of his glove. And we were like, what? Like he just, he just dropped the ball. Like, and I get that'll happen. But outside of that, man, like in the major leagues, I think he would just be a very average center fielder. In, in a corner position, like, he would be above average. Like, he's got a plus arm, plus speed, good reaction, good with the glove. He knows when to throw to bases. He hits the cutoff men. Like, there are bigger, sexier numbers and underlying, excuse me, underlying defensive metrics that can tell you more about him. But, like, the things from the naked eye that you just want to see, like, does he make the plays that he needs to? Yes. Does he make the plays sometimes he shouldn't make? That's also a yes. And we've seen other prospects in years past where they're actually kind of a liability defensively. And actually with Blade in center and left and right, it kind of doesn't matter. He makes things better. Um, and he's kind of emerged to me as like one of the best all around outfielders that we have on this team, even though other guys might have certain tools that, that might be better. I want to ask you a general question just about the season and about your job. What kind of grind has it been with this six, this setup that they have these, you know, every six days and then you get the day off Monday and you're in one city for six days. And then you might, it's been home away, home away. Right. So you're only in Pensacola for six days at a time. What's set up in, are you calling games remotely on the radio? What, what's it been like with everything that it's been so different and, and just the grind of the schedule right now where it's six days on one day off. Yeah. Uh, I'm very fortunate with my ownership group um, because they said pretty early on that we want you to travel. We want you to be there. If the Marlins have said that they don't feel comfortable having you on the bus, then, you know, the expectation is that you'll drive yourself, but you know, we'll get your hotel like we've done in years past. So that part of it has been very normal. And I've been in constant communication with the Marlins and because I am fully vaccinated um, and I am a covered individual, which is a whole other minor league guideline. Uh, I am allowed to ride the bus. I chose not to today because this would have been the second Monday in a row after a homestand that we would have traveled. We would have burned the off day to travel to get to the city. Now, Chattanooga last week, that's like a seven hour drive. So I understand that this is less than four hours. Um, and I just, you know, what? the battery needs to be recharged a little <laughs> bit because it does it does get a little taxing after a while. Um, and so, you know, I'll have a nice dinner with my girlfriend. We'll, we'll probably watch a little TV and then I will next morning, wake up early, do a little prep um, then drive to Birmingham. Um, but, but these six days and every day, every Monday being an off day, Ethan is huge because mm-hmm. like you go into a series and you're excited, like, all right, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're learning a little bit about the teams and the players and how things are going. Then usually Thursday, Thursday, it's pretty unanimous in minor league. So you get your first real crowd. Maybe it's college night. People will be sauced up a little bit. They'll be getting into it. You got fireworks on Friday and Saturday. And then by that point, like your, your energy is pretty much drained, Mm -hmm. but you know that like Sunday's the getaway. So it's like, hopefully there's a good pitching matchup. 
some days it's not the case and you're just like all right let's just Let's get this one done, pack up the bags, get on the bus and, and head home. So it's good, man. It's, it's good. It's consistent because before we could sometimes have like 25, 26 straight days with games before an off day. And that was that was always pretty brutal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Our special guests here on Earning Their Stripes, Chris Garagiola of AA Pensacola, Blue Wahoos. Yeah, we're going to get into some of those pitching matchups very shortly. The one other position player we wanted to touch on was Peyton Burdick. Um, one particular thing that stuck out to me, uh, there are other obvious things that stick out when you watch him every day and obviously his power tool, but also his Iron Man streak. Uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, you've probably picked up on this, that he's played in every game this season and I pulled it up that he's actually the only guy in the double a South and like one of maybe a handful of guys in all of minor league baseball that has played every single game. The first, I think we're now seven series into the year, the first 42 games of the year um, that, so that, that really jumped out to me um, because of course, these guys did not play much baseball at all last year. Um, and I imagine that explains why so many of these other players, both in the Marlins organization and across minor leagues. And of course, at the major league level, you see it even more than ever guys resting out of an abundance of caution. Uh, what do you make of the fact that he's played in every game? Uh, how much of that is his choice? How much of that do you think is the manager smoke Randall's choice? Uh, that That's just one stat that really like jumped out to me that he's playing in every single game where it seems that nobody else in the league is. Well, I would say uh, respectfully that Peyton has zero choice in whether or not he plays or doesn't play. Um, I imagine that that smoke and the Marlins front office uh, collaborate on that frequently to try and figure out who's going to play. I actually had this conversation with smoke um, about, because for a time it was both Blade and Berta because the other guys had picked up like little, like a Nick here and there just needed a day, something like that. But, you know, I asked them how long could you realistically go and just have him keep playing before an off day. And he was like, you know, personally, I'd like to just have it where they played every game this season. Because, I mean, you think about it, just like we talked about, they have an off day scheduled for every single Monday. So all you got to do is play six days and then you're getting an off day. And when you kind of translate that to a major league schedule, I mean, you will have teams that go certainly longer than six days before they get an off day. And then I learned this from Pat, Pat Kelly, who was our, he's my first manager when I started working for the Wahoos in 2017. I think he's triple a now in Louisville, but he said, look, you get to August and September and guys would be complaining about like, you know, I'm sore, my legs hurt, you know, what have you. Cause it is a grind of a season, but the whole point 
of the minor leagues is that this is an apprenticeship for these guys to become masters of their trade and then get to Miami or whatever major league team and contribute to a winning ball club. It's the only thing that matters up there is winning and losing. And we used to play 140 games down here. Obviously we're in a shortened season. So even if you played a full season down here, you're still a month short of what the expectation is in the major leagues. So these guys need to play like a lot of games because Mm -hmm. they're young and it's never been better to be playing a lot and having that, that young 23, 24 year old body be able to heal certainly much better than like a 35, 36 year old. So, you know, I know that Peyton, I'm sure will get an off day um, at some point in the near future. I hope that he does. If he stays here all season leads the league in appearances. Cause I do think that's important. I think it says a lot about a player's durability, but I, I certainly want, not as a, just a fan, but as someone who pretends to be someone who knows quite a bit about baseball, like I want to see these guys playing because they do have the off day and you know, it gets harder once you get to Miami. And so this is why you got to push yourself now to be better prepared uh, for the highest level. I like that idea of this is the apprenticeship to go up and master your craft. But so based on that, how much fun is it for you to year in, year out, you know, the thing about the minor leagues is you don't get a lot of continuity. It's year in, year out, there's new guys, but how awesome is it to see guys achieve their dreams? And then all of a sudden in a couple of years, from your perspective, they're, you know, playing in the big leagues. And now you're seeing guys that you watched, you know, in these small minor league ballparks and they're in the biggest stadiums in the world. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in, in my mind, I came up with some corny line that I thought sounded awesome. And then I said it out loud once and it was, it was really lame, but it, it was like, you know, I hope that once you get here and you leave that I never see you again. Right. Because you're only going upwards and like, you know, I wasn't good enough. And now I've been around guys where it's like very clear what the level it takes, what is required to reach the major leagues. And like, I think it's like in any sport, man, when you, see people figure it out like and especially as i get older i mean like i'm, I'm only 29 right now but you know heaven forbid if i'm doing this at like 39 and you're seeing like these 22 year olds like once they figure it out and now they realize that like literally the sky is the limit they've tapped into that potential they understand what it takes it's it's exciting and and the best part about minor league baseball the best very best part about being a broadcaster is like once you get to the major leagues like it's cool broadcasting in these different cities like new york la san francisco miami too like let's party but the players they kind of adopt this idea that like yeah i am a big deal right like in the media is the media you know and like when we're in the minor leagues we're just a bunch of dudes trying to figure it out like we're just taking it day by day and we're figuring out where to go eat and we're talking about last night's game and we're ripping jokes, you know, about bullpen guys or whatever, like, you know, and, I, and I'm not certainly not one of these people that's like, Hey, let me try and be best friends with all the players. You know, I think they understand that, that I'm serious about what I do and I want to be respectful of them, but they also know that I care about the game and I pay attention. And, you know, I'm not one of these guys that's just going to start lambasting a player because he makes a mistake or has a bad AB. Um, it's hard. It's a grind. And all the, all the credit goes to them for, for getting this far. And I hope that they can just, you know, you're one, I always say you're one good season away. Once you get to double a from, from achieving your dreams. And 
Like some guys probably isn't going to happen for them and it sucks, but for other guys, could be the start of something special. You know, there's a bunch of special players on this team and, you know, for them, the floor is, is reaching the big leagues and the ceiling is like, who knows, man? I mean, Eddie Cabrera the other day, like that, I can't, I won't swear, but uh, <laughs> that stuff was big league. Like that's, that's the top end stuff. That's the hardest thing for any team to find ever. And you might have it right now. Like, you know, so that it's exciting. Although Eddie and I don't have too many long conversations. My Spanish is a bit poor, uh, but we're, we're working on it. It's something, it's a goal of mine. I've been studying and maybe, maybe a year or two, I'll be able to chip in a little bit more. So that's a nice treat. Although you are already, you're already pretty spoiled with Max Meyer <laughs> and Jake Eater already there. Uh, I, I guess I wanted to bring up all three of those guys kind of at the same time. Uh, we've spoken to quite a few players in the past and Ethan kind of likes to ask them who they compare themselves to. And, um, a lot of them, uh, Max Meyer actually included, uh, the first person they go to is Max Scherzer. That seems to be like the one guy they all, uh, point themselves to, <laughs> or if they decline to do that, sometimes they say I'm unique, I'm myself, and they don't compare themselves to anybody. Uh, but from your vantage point, I thought it'd be interesting just to, to bring that up as if there are any comps that come to mind when you watch Eddie Cabrera or Max Meyer or Jake Eater, this trio uh, when you see these guys pitch, obviously all three of them have had amazing results so far uh, in your database as a fan. And now for several years as a broadcaster, um, are there any comparisons that you can make? There's like two types of people that compare. So it's like one guy will see a prospect and be like, well, he's probably like the next Ted Williams. And that's like, okay, that's not me. I don't like to go. I'd like to be a little more conservative. So I saw someone today compare, Wander Franco, who just got called up, obviously, to Jose Ramirez. And I thought that is a terrific comp. Like, this guy has been so highly touted. And like Jose Ramirez, nobody's going to say, like, is the fifth greatest baseball player who's ever lived. But that's how they sometimes talk about this kid. So it's like, with all that said, I like Eater to, I was talking to somebody kind of like a CJ Wilson prior to when he joined the Angels. Like, you know, solid, solid starter. If he continues on this trajectory, there's already an understanding of two pitches and a pretty good understanding of a third. The velocity for him has been consistently higher than Meyer so far. Um, and he's pitched, wow. pitched a little bit longer. Yeah. I mean, uh, we see it from, from Jake where he can hit 95, 96 um, and hit 96 several times. And that to me is like, it's really good stuff. Um, because you never know how it's going to unfold. And that's not a knock against Max or anything like that. It's just we're, we're a month into the season, and I've seen what I've seen. Here's the wind in the 3-2. Another strikeout. Swing and a miss. Edward Cabrera. Wow. I've had the chance to see him twice in person. One time um, he just shoved against us when he was pitching for Jacksonville. Now here he is <laughs> going four and a third against Montgomery. There aren't a lot of guys who sit 98 for almost five innings with a changeup at 93, 94. I mean, he threw a 94 mile an hour changeup, and I didn't know what to call it because I was like, is that a, is that a slow fastball or is that? It's funny like you a, say that because there's a guy just like that in the Marlins organization at the big league level right now. Like you're saying 98 and a 93 mile an hour changeup. And I'm just thinking Sandy Alcantara, Sandy Alcantara, exactly. Sandy Alcantara. So let's like, I mean, I, I didn't want to pick him necessarily for a comp, but I was like, eh, like, you know, 
you can't say DeGrom because that he's obviously like so good at all of those pitches, but like you're talking about elite velocity. You're talking about legitimate use of three pitches. I also apparently found out his player card on the show is just fuego. Yeah, people, people were lighting us up on Twitter. Like this guy is give, he's got to get PTSD because this guy's so good in the game, but like he is just how many right-handed starting pitchers can you realistically find in the big leagues who throw a hundred miles an hour and are sitting like 97, 98. And then that's where you would start with that comparison. To me, the hardest one is Max Meyer. And I know that he's ranked higher and he was so dominant in college. His slider today would be an above average major league slider. Like if you just took that pitch and you gave it to somebody else, like you would think that that's exactly what you're seeing. He's working on a changeup, but it's not there yet. And it's going to take time because you can't just spend two weeks on a pitch and then be like, oh, there you go. You know, it's a plus pitch. And his fastball has been like 93, 94. And so the question will be with him moving forward is one, as he gets older and as he gets stronger, is that going to translate to greater velo? Because he is only like six feet, one inches, whereas Eater, I think is six, four Cabrera, six, five, like they're just bigger. And when we talk about the ideal sort of biomechanical build, you know, Meyer will take the bronze out of those three, but his floor is probably the highest because I think today you could put him in the bullpen and say, all right, Max, like you just have to worry about two pitches, fastball slider. The slider's already great. And the fastball now that was at 93 is a starter. Well, you only have to worry about going in innings. So you go 95, 96. So you're playing with house money with a guy like Meyer. Well, you don't have to worry about like, oh, is this guy going to be a bust? Because like, what you and I explained this on the pod yesterday. And my dad taught me this because he was a former general manager. When it's like when you're looking, especially, especially at first round picks, all you ever want is for them to be a contributor in the major leagues. It doesn't matter if they're an everyday everyday all-star, even if it's a first overall pick, a one-one. Like you do not need a generational talent. What you need is good scouting, good development. So that way, every year as you lose a guy. You can bring in another guy and not feel like you're taking a step back. And the thing is, if you do that, you're going to accidentally run into a guy who is an all-star, who is a generational talent. And that's how you build, honestly, what the Dodgers have been doing. I know they splashed the cash quite a bit, but like, you know, I, I think I mentioned Dustin May. And then you could talk about like Gavin Lux. They're not all-stars. They're not the face of the franchise, but they're young players who have proven themselves in the minor leagues and they're ready to go the moment they get there. They're on these postseason rosters. And I think right now with the Marlins, what you're seeing is like as guys get injured, especially position players and God, dude, the starting pitching at times, it's like so frustrating. You're seeing that drop off in replacement players coming in and they can't sustain that. So I get excited like you guys, because I think today they're like eight games back. And it's like, would any of us be surprised if they rattle off a month where they win? Like, I don't know, 16 of their next 22 no, but like at the same time, we see performances sometimes from Pittsburgh and Colorado when we're like, mm-hmm. why is this team so freaking inconsistent? And I think mm-hmm. part of it is because guys are injured. Guys are constantly coming in and out of the lineup, whether it's a Devers or a Diaz or now Sanchez, like you want those guys to come in and hopefully stay. But when you constantly having to swap pieces around to make it work, like it's almost impossible to be consistent. And I don't blame Mattingly or anyone like that. You got to play the cards you're dealt. It's just certainly from a fan fan's perspective, you know, it could be frustrating when, when the team you feel like is underperforming. 
I want to ask you another question about Max because I find him a very interesting person. Um, when we interviewed him in spring, he doesn't watch baseball really, so he didn't really have like a comparison for me, but he, he seems like more of a hockey guy than a baseball guy, but it just works. What about him just works? Is it just the natural gift that he has? Um, and then also his his hair and the whole mullet Thursday thing. How awesome has that been watching that? Okay, so the mullet thing very quickly is awesome. I don't know if he's actually going to do it. If he doesn't, I'm calling him soft. But we will be prepared with shears to give him a full-on P-Cola mullet should he want one. Um, And the unis are cool and the atmosphere is awesome and all that stuff like that. What makes it work? Um, The thing that I think about with the hockey attitude is, to me, hockey players are like the most fearless athletes in sport. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, they're literally totally fine saying, take out my front row of teeth and then like, just make sure I can get back out for my next period. Like that's, that's batty dude. Whereas like our guys, not our guys, but I mean like baseball players will be like, I don't know, like that pitch kind of hurt. I I think I got to come out of the game. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, that's the difference between the two. And so for him, it's like, he is the most feisty, competitive MFer on the mound. Like he doesn't want to be bothered when it's his day to pitch. Like most guys, he is not happy when it is not going well. He is someone that wants to win. He wants to dominate. He wants to make the other guy who's at the plate quit when the AB is over. Like I hate playing against this guy. I'm done with baseball. <laughs> and when it's not going right for him, what I can't stand as a fan and as someone who's watched a lot of like a lot of minor league baseball is guys basically just quit where it's like, I don't have it today, you know, and you'll see it more with hitters. Like they will be in a bad stretch and you just watch these at bats. Like, okay, you know what? Like there was no plan. There was no approach. There was no fight in you. You just rolled over. And, and I certainly can't stand it with starting pitchers. Cause that means we're going to have close to a three and a half hour game. But with Meyer, like he just had a career high seven walks. It was not good with the fastball. It was the second day in a row where that command just was not there. And for the second consecutive start, he didn't allow a run. (laughs) Like he just grinds, man. When he doesn't have it, he just competes. And if you want to give him a Scherzer comparison, that's the part where I would point to it. It's the same thing with Kershaw. Those guys have days where it's like they just don't have their stuff and they are just going to bust their ass and give you seven shutouts. They will just find a way. And so he won't feel sorry for himself. He won't be like, gosh, it's so unfair. It's the weather or like this place, this park sucks. Like he doesn't care about that. He just wants to beat you and he wants to do his very best because he thinks he should be in the big leagues. And quite frankly, like this is a waste of time, not in a negative way. That's just how much he believes in himself. And like, dude, if you don't have that from your pitcher, you're kind of done before you even get started. So like, that's another intangible that's like, yeah, I can see why teams would be high on him. And that's why that's why my floor for him is like 10-year big leaguer. Like, he, he just is. Where he will be in the big leagues, I don't know. We'll find out. But, you know, mark it down now. Maybe it's one of the top prospects we've already covered, or maybe it's, it could be anybody on the roster. But I'm curious, now that obviously calling the games, but now that you've actually spent time around the players as well, does anybody stick out in terms of their leadership qualities, guys, whether it's on the field or uh, something away from it, that it's, it's hard for us to gauge that even watching the games. Um, I'm curious what, 
if anybody sticks out to you in that regard, if somebody who's, as you've gotten to know them a little bit, have uh, really impressed you with um, how they interact with teammates or just uh, who they are in general, any of that intangible stuff that sticks out to you? Yeah. I mean, and I, I want to be careful with this answer because I think we have a tendency to be black or white. So if I say something like leadership doesn't really matter here, I don't want you to interpret that as if I'm saying like, Oh, nobody cares at all. Right. It's just it, you know, it's the wild, wild West down there. I just think that like, once you get to double a, um, you are the captain of your own ship. Like you have to be responsible for your attitude and your effort. Like, are you going to, are you going to show up on time for your lift? Are you going to do the things that you're supposed to do? Because in the big leagues, like nobody goes around and like shepherds the players and tells them what to do. So there isn't somebody like a captain of the team. But the thing that I have noticed is that this is quickly becoming one of my favorite groups because quite frankly, like everybody gets along and seems to be happy with other people being successful. You know, I've had other affiliates in the past where like there's some divas on the team that like you weren't you weren't too upset to see him go. Like it's just it is what it is. And there's nobody on this team where it's like, oh, man, I can't stand that guy. Like, he sucks, you know? Like, I hope he gets shelled or I hope he goes over four. But there isn't anybody. They like playing with each other. They have been so respectful and helpful, especially when we started the year and we still had the health and safety protocols. You know, I had the chance to talk to guys, to do interviews. They could have completely shut me out. But, you know, I've loved working with them and – it goes back to what I said before. It's another group of players that I get really invested in and get excited when they do well because I want them to reach the major leagues and and hopefully bump into them down the road. Maybe I'll be calling a big league game in you know five, six years and be like, hey man, remember you in double A? You know, those were the good old days. Ethan, you got anything else for Chris? Because I on a related note, I have something yeah, that yeah, no, go go ahead with that with a related note. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Chris, I mean, one, one way you get up the chain yourself is obviously putting together a tape of all these great calls you've made <laughs> and you've had the opportunity to make some great calls already this year. Um, you, you referenced a couple of plays already earlier in the pod and we're going to kind of insert them into this episode so that people that aren't aware can hear you at work and hearing what you do best, uh, whether it's a walk-off win or whether it's just a crazy play or whether it was a dysfunctional situation where you had to improv what are the individual like calls that you've made that still jump out at you? Whether it's patting yourself on the back and saying you did a great job or just <laughs> a, a crazy moment for you to experience at the ballpark so far this year. Oh my God, man. Well, first of all, no broadcaster who's worth two cents ever enjoys listening to their own tape because oh, that's <laughs> true. That's true. It's yeah. just awful. So <laughs> it's like, I'll listen to a call and it's like a walk-off home run. Right. And it to, to, to most people it'll sound normal. And to me, it'll be like, <laughs> like, I just absolutely hate it. So, but the the good calls are the ones where the crowd matches your intensity and you feel like you get that build, that crescendo going up. And that's always nice. Or when, when you can see the play sort of happening in front of you, because like you do in baseball in particular, like you want to have a plan of like, what happens if, you know, the ball's hit here or this happens or a guy drops it. Like you don't want to pre-script out what you want to say. But like, there's definitely been a couple of times where, you know, it'll be the top of an inning. We're at home. 
and there's two guys on base and I forget to look and see who's where on the bases for them. Cause I don't memorize uh, all their players. And then there'll be a gap shot and I'll be like, okay, so-and-so is being waved around third, but I forget his name. And I'm like, Oh F like I got to get my card out and find his name. By that point, he's already scored. I'm just like, Oh my God, the wheels are falling off this play. Like that sort of thing. There's a couple of calls in this series because of the wind, like Bladez was a freaking bomb. And then it turned into a fly out. And I was like, well, this is dumb. Like, yeah, I know you guys think that I just missed it, but like, I'm telling you that was a home run. And like, it just on any other day in any other place, um, you know, it would have been gone. Here's JJ Blade. There's a swing and a shot out towards deep, right? Going back Cardenas and he'll make the catch on the warning track for the second out of the inning. Oh, Blade picked the wrong day to send one high and deep to right because the wind just absolutely took the bite out of what would have certainly been his sixth home run of the season. You could see Cardenas racing back to the right field wall if you're watching on Blab TV and then had to come in a couple of steps. And I'm telling you, it's not because he got it off the end of the bat. It's just because of the gusty conditions here at Blue Wahoo Stadium. I was really excited for the what would have been the no-hitter. I was, I was getting nervous for that, especially once we got late in the eighth inning. Um, and I probably needed that because I if I went back and listened to that tape and I haven't had the chance to do so, it probably wasn't my best stuff because I was nervous and I was trying so hard. Um, and, you know, I've never really been in a position like that. I did have the chance to call a perfect game, but I was a number two. And the guy I was with is now the radio broadcaster for the Cincinnati Reds. And I think he's going to be one of the best radio guys to do it when he's done, you know, 30, 40 years from now. All I will say about my calls, which is a super non-specific answer that you probably weren't hoping for, was I, at heart, am just a kid who likes making people laugh, who wants people to have a good time, who wants you to enjoy the game. I love baseball. I've grown up with it. I love that I'm learning more and more about it. Like I imagine this is what it's for people who like to play chess all the time because it is such an intricate game. There's so many different moving parts. You know, Ethan, I can tell you, like you already have such a great understanding of some of the more advanced analytics that tell us more about what players are doing. I want to be able to get pieces of that and then tie it into a narrative where it's like, we're talking about someone like Jeff Lindgren and how he made one adjustment in college where instead of pitching on the left side of the rubber, he now moves on the right side of the rubber and he watches ERA like drop in half and those little nuggets and things like that. And if I can speak with enthusiasm and with just genuine joy, like that will be enough for people to be like, man, this is fun. And that's what baseball broadcasts should be. It kind of drives me crazy when I'm driving and I'm listening on the radio and like, six different teams all sound the same and I'm just getting beat to death by numbers and splits and what a guy's doing on the road. Like, yeah, if you're writing about it and you're trying to make decisions, that stuff's important. But like, if you want to enjoy the game, like I'm not going to tell you what a guy's hitting with runners in scoring position in two outs when there's nobody on base. Like I'd rather tell you about like what the guys were doing on the bus ride back. Although some of that is confidential, but uh, <laughs> now it's nothing bad, mostly just card games, but you know, or just like the, the stories, the things you pick up from roving instructors. So if I can get better at storytelling, because that's an area of my game, I think is a little weak. Um, I think that I'll be in a position to maybe, you know, live out my dreams. And if it doesn't happen, dude, getting to double A and working with these guys and doing these podcasts, like awesome. that's, 
it's not a bad life as well. So uh, I'm pretty fortunate in that regard. Well, I'll tell you that I have wanted, like part of my goal has always been play-by-play somewhere in there. I would love to do play-by-play eventually. And so growing up, I always kind of admired, you know, broadcasters everywhere. And, and I always kind of liked baseball better on the radio. There's just something about baseball on the radio. So for you, you do both. Is it that same way? Is there just something about doing it on the radio? It's way more satisfying, in my opinion, to have a great radio broadcast from start to finish because there's so many different elements that go into play. Um, And look, there are broadcasters that have much more difficult setups than I do, where they are responsible for a lot more. You know, we have an unbelievable team with Daniel Venn, who's in charge and he's cutting highlights and he's setting stuff out. So all these clips that you guys want like that is that is his baby. Right. And he he is so good at all that. And we just brought in Katie Florio out of Clemson because, quite frankly, I saw some of her tape when she was doing work in the Cape. And, like, I mean, I I, I don't like to throw out comps, right, and things like that. But she said that, like, she wants to do, you know, network sideline reporting. And I think her floor at the minimum is, is a regional sports sideline reporter, whether it's, you know, Bally Sports with Atlanta or Chicago or whatever. Like, I think she has the ability to do that. She gives us a whole nother level of dynamicism with our broadcast. And once the restrictions are completely lifted, you know, she'll be able to get those stories, get those interviews and things like that and and add to the things that you guys are looking for as well that that maybe give you insight to players and things like that. I will say to, to you, Ethan, or you, Eli, I mean, you want some play-by-play, brother. 351 West Cedar Street. That's where Blue Wahoo Stadium is. You just come on up and I'll get you on the air for a couple innings. I'll let you take the reins and I'll be your number two. That sound fair? That would be a dream, an absolute dream. I go to, I go to school at UF and Pensacola is a little bit of a hike, but a little bit, yeah. Um, Gainesville, I, but. <laughs> that would be an absolute dream. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd be any good. I might freak out and, <laughs> and shit hey, my pants on the radio, but I, I got a bunch of people amazing. on Twitter who tell me I'm not very good. So it doesn't matter. Apparently no, you're like, awesome, man. Don't listen to those guys. Don't listen to those guys. We, we really do enjoy your stuff. I'm telling you. Appreciate did, that. Did they really hit one off the top of the scoreboard when that, no, like he actually did. I know that ball died. Like there was one that actually hit off the top of the scoreboard. Right. Uh, I mean, I'll call your shot and raise you another because he's hit one over the scoreboard. Wow. He's just, and you know, the other person who hit one just flat out over the video board that I called was Lewin Diaz. Yeah. It's a stud. The only two guys who just, when, when he was with Minnesota there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. And I, it was funny cause we were playing Jacksonville when he got traded. Um, and he was so, he looked so sad just because he had to move from one clubhouse to the other and leave his friends. But I thought about mm-hmm. it afterwards. One, I thought Miami got the better end of that deal. And two, he's going to he's gonna be a king down there, like yeah. if he just pieces it together. Like that's the guy, if you want to bat with Jazz Chisholm as well, where it's like we want to market this team mm-hmm. with these young, exciting players. And like – I'm very high on Lewin, very high, yeah. I, I just – you know, I don't know how it'll translate in the big leagues because I thought he hit a lot of different pitches well and he had both pull side power and that left center power, like – like when Ryan Howard was at his best and he could just drop one to like left center. That's what I always want from like power hitting lefties, but fuck man. Like he would just hit some balls so far that it was just mm-hmm. like, oh my God. he went out of Jacksonville before he got traded. That might've been the play where it was like, yeah, we got to get him. So I don't know, but those dudes are nuts. 
Yeah. And as you said, you know, one thing missing from, uh, from your track record is that no hitter. And this is the year where you got a great shot to add to that, whether it's the guys on the current team, uh, not that far away from looking forward to who gets promoted from Beloit. And they got a couple really dominant arms there to give you a chance at that. Uh, but either way, so much talent in Pensacola this year, Chris Garagiola, uh, broadcaster for Pensacola Blue Wahoo is so generous with his time and his honesty and his stories. <laughs> uh, we hope everybody has appreciated this. Uh, I'm sure we'll catch up with you, Chris, uh, either later in the year or after the year. Uh, it's what start of a 10 year affiliation agreement between the Marlins and the Blue Wahoos. Although you're probably going to move up the chain at some point during, during that tenure. Uh, we appreciate this so now much. Now you jinxed it, bro. So, all right, <laughs> I guess I'll see you in 2031. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, we, this was amazing, Chris. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Chris. Yeah. And seriously, I like, you know, we've been with the Reds and the Twins and then they care about their minor leagues, but I've never seen a group of writers, you guys, and obviously Alex and Daniel and everyone else who cares so much about these prospects and care about like our affiliate. So like the shout out goes to you because I'm sure it takes a lot of time and you guys have other jobs as well and you don't slack on that. So like, you know, I tip my cap to you guys and anytime you have questions or you want to do an interview or anything I can do to help, like. All you got to do is reach out and ask. Okay. It's, it's all we've had for a few years in Miami. I'll tell you that <laughs> the minor league guys have been, the, you know, it's been the thing. And uh, I mean, I know you see it firsthand with just the talent that's coming through. So, but we, it, we appreciate it, man. We'll, we'll definitely be in touch. And I'm sorry if I ruin your career, if I end up calling an inning <laughs> or two. <laughs> It'd be good, man. We'll, we'll have fun doing it. That's for sure. No doubt. I'll talk to you soon. Man. Thank you.